0: Welcome to Weber-Wenzel Legal Insights. With over 150 years of experience and deep industry knowledge, Weber-Wenzel is the leading full-service law firm on the African continent. day and a very warm welcome to our listeners. I am your host Chandani Gopal and I'm a senior associate in Weber Wenzel's dispute resolution practice. So today we're discussing the wonder that is virtual hearings in international arbitration but with a particular emphasis on Weber Wenzel's own experiences in arranging and attending these hearings. It goes without saying that there have been extensive developments in this area in this COVID-19 world. And so to help me unpack these developments, I am joined by Priyesh Daya and Sarah McKenzie, both of whom are partners in Weber Wenzel's dispute resolution practice, and they're experts in international arbitration. Priyesh and Sarah, welcome, and thank you so much for joining me.
1: Thank you, Chandni.
0: Thanks, Chandni. It's good to be here. So... By now, we and our clients are acutely aware of the challenges that COVID-19 has brought about in resolving disputes, both domestic, but especially internationally. Um, I think we could say, by and large, our clients agree that it's simply not feasible anymore to just press pause on arbitrations. We have no idea when this pandemic will cease, and so the show must go on. That means that we, our clients, arbitrators, they've had to urgently adapt to virtual hearing platforms. Um, and if I may be so bold, I'm going to say that South Africa, and Weber in particular, have emerged as leaders in this area of virtual hearings. Priyash, I'd like to begin with you. Now, in crafting unique solutions to really facilitate virtual hearings for our clients, My understanding is that Weber Wenzel went ahead and and really addressed clients' concerns around the very concept of resolving disputes. Um, And I would imagine that these concerns are largely universal, but perhaps you could provide us with some insight into what some of these concerns were.
1: Thank you, Chandani. I think perhaps one is to understand that nobody foresaw the impact of this pandemic You know, prior to corona, we would resolve our disputes through mechanisms such as arbitration uh, by, you know, attending hearings both domestically or uh, cross-border internationally, uh, you know, in order to resolve our clients' disputes. COVID has resulted in, obviously, a huge economic downturn worldwide. It's resulted in projects coming to a standstill Uh, You know, dispute resolution, if you really think about it, is not really top of mind, uh, given the, you know, uh, uh, current health initiatives and the like. However, what was important for Weber-Wenzel was to ensure that there was continuity uh, insofar as dispute resolution mechanisms are concerned, because, you know, at the end of the day, these disputes are not disappearing either, and we needed to be forward-looking. The impact of the virus resulted, obviously, in severe lockdowns in ju- different jurisdictions. Implementation of quarantines, um, you know, the the fact that one can't travel to these jurisdictions uh, meant simply that one had to be uh, to be really forward-looking. I would say that the the virus itself, for the pandemic, has caused us to become agents of change. So, what was important was that we ensured that we had to uh, adopt technology. Uh, we had to ensure that, uh, you know, we used new innovative protocols to help our clients resolve their disputes.
0: And um, Sarah Priyash touched on this very pertinent issue of technology. So it's critical when you're facilitating international arbitrations. Um, there's a perception about the unreliability of technology in Africa. Um, Is this the case? But but more specifically in in South Africa, do we have this issue um, and are our clients concerned about it?
2: Um, Chandani, thanks. Um, I think that there is a concern internationally about um, a perceived unreliability of virtual platforms for international arbitrations. Um, But we found that um, we've managed to um, relatively successfully navigate Concerns. I think you know it's inevitable that that people in particular locations um, may have co- connectivity problems. We can't avoid that. But by and large, we found that we've been able to run run the process quite smoothly. I think South Africa has a very sophisticated um, legal system, but it also has very sophisticated IT infrastructure. Um, most people um, who would be participating in an international arbitration have good access to, to internet and connectivity. And, and we've we found that, that we've been able to do it with, with very little interruption. Um, so, so the concerns that we'd had at the beginning about you know, constantly being um, dialed out of, um, out of links and the like really haven't, haven't been as prevalent as, as we'd all feared.
0: So Priyash, I understand that Weber Wenzel has run a number of international arbitrations during the last few months. Um, perhaps you could provide us with some insight into your experience in being involved in one of these arbitrations.
1: Certainly, we've had many positive experiences. Um, I think on the first front, the domestic arbitration scene, uh, you know, has been extremely positive. Weber Wenzel has been able to use its enhanced technology and facilities. To enable us uh, to have arbitration virtual arbitrations for our clients um, on the international front we have done uh the same we i would say though that you know there are certain instances where in certain jurisdictions that there have been issues i would say that those issues pertain more to a lack of buy-in uh by uh parties um in in those jurisdictions um Particularly because there's a distrust, I would imagine, of uh, virtual hearings. Uh, there's a, there's a, you know, not a proper buy-in in terms of protocols and the like. Um, you know that's been our experience. And what is important, though, I would say, is that you know where it works well is where parties um, ensure that they have uh, proper connectivity, there are pro- proper protocols in place, and, and more importantly uh, that uh, you know a protocol is followed. I'm glad to tell you that there are protocols that have been deliver, uh, developed, uh, particularly by the leading arbitration fora, uh, such as the uh, Singapore Arbitration Centre, uh, AFSA in South Africa has recently, in fact, uh, developed its uh, virtual gearing protocol as well.
0: Sarah, just touching on this, this protocol issue, I think that there are other ways to go about actually running an effective arbitration. So, you know we've had arbitration agreements that have worked in the past. Do they still work now? Um, I would say that arbitration clauses probably don't actually up until now have envisaged the very idea of virtual hearing, so the right of physical hearing has really come across in contracts but but that's changed um can you Can you speak on how parties can actually go about? creating an arbitration that is actually going to be very efficient. So what
2: we've found is that even when the parties haven't contemplated the question of a virtual hearing at the time of entering into their arbitration agreement, we've been able to craft um, what we've termed a virtual hearing protocol. Priyash has mentioned that a number of the um, arbitral institutions have, have formulated their own. We'd, um, we'd been formulating them on an ad hoc basis um, for specific arbitrations, um, right from the very beginning of the lockdown, where the arbitration clause um, simply doesn't deal with, with the practical necessities of a virtual hearing. And we'd framed in a number of arbitrations, um, a relatively detailed virtual hearing protocol that was specific to the parties. And address as many of their particular concerns as possible. Um, so you would include you would include a lot of um, uh, a lot of provision around um, the the platform that the virtual hearing will be held on, um, the party's etiquette. You know how how you deal with witnesses um, in a virtual context. You know, we, there's normally a lot of um, a lot of protection around the way witnesses um, will be dealt with to ensure. To ensure that there is nothing untoward that happens in relation to witness testimony, and we've we've successfully, we think, crafted a number of protocols that that take account of those concerns um, as well as one possibly can. Just by way of example, um, there there's often an inclusion of a relatively extensive provision around um, around what must be visible in the room that participants are in. And um, this is obviously to ensure that there aren't outside parties that may be um, able to access uh, in confidential um, information that's being disclosed in the arbitration. So participants are required to, um, to show on, on their video feed that there's no one in the room with them. Um, it may be that the arbitrator would be required to get each participant to confirm at the commencement of the arbitration that he or she is is alone in the room. And at any point, if there are any concerns, the arbitrator or, or indeed one of the parties could, could ask each participant um, to, to turn on his or her video and um, scan the room to prove that there's nobody nobody present. In relation to witnesses, um, there, there's, this is always a bit of a thorny issue because that's that's where the real concern comes in from most parties. Um, how do you give effective witness testimony virtually? And, and we've crafted a lot of provisions that deal with um, ensuring that the witnesses don't have access to annotated notes on bundles of documents and that the arbitrator is empowered at any point to require the witness to confirm that this is so and prove prove it by holding up um, whatever documents he or she is referring to. Um, none of the parties is allowed to be in the same physical room as either the arbitrator or the witnesses um, to ensure that there's, there's some limitations on, on risks around um, assistance of witnesses in the process. So, so we think that as much as we, we've we been agents of change, we've been very cautious um, to try and address as many of our clients' concerns in relation to the virtual platform as possible in crafting these protocols. And we, we found that they've been a very successful tool in doing so.
1: You know, if I can say one thing, and I think just coupled with what Sarah said as well, preparation is key. So we've had to be more innovative in terms of our uh preparation processes but but the one thing that will make all of this work and especially you know as to what Sarah had mentioned with regards to these protocols is making sure that you test uh you know your processes so what we would what we have been doing for instance is prior to any hearing we would uh have a test session with the arbitrator and our opponents just to make sure that connectivity is in place protocols are in place uh, and, you know, there will be as little disruption as possible. Um, you know, coming to strategy, strategizing, etc. cetera, uh, with clients, you know, we'd want to make sure that um, we have certain, you know, controls in place if our clients and witnesses are not obviously in the same venue and they, um, you know, being communi- if they we communicating with them virtually as well, you know, confidentiality and security are critical uh, to our processes. So, you know, it's it's something that uh, I, w- I would just tell you, say to you that we must test these things. We must make sure we have adequate controls in place um, and we must continue to improve.
0: Um, Sarah and Priyash, what are your experiences around actually strategizing in breaks? So counsel ourselves and clients just sort of having a little debrief or or quick catch-up session of of how to go ahead. How has that worked when you have clients and counsel in almost three, four, five different locations around the world? I think that's
2: a a very good question, because one of our biggest concerns at the beginning of lockdown, um, when virtual hearings uh, were being suggested, was that we wouldn't be able to effectively communicate with our own team. the way that we've dealt with it um, has largely been the creation of uh, virtual caucus rooms, uh, where we can step out and and speak to to just our team. And we've we've ensured that the virtual hearing protocols that I mentioned earlier make provision for regular breaks, so that the teams are able to do so. I think there's an acceptance that what you would normally be able to do in real time if you're physically present in the same location is, is simply not possible um, in a virtual context. And so parties need to need to kind of craft a new solution for that. So, so there, there's often an inclusion of um, a 15 minute break every hour or every hour and a half in, in the virtual hearing protocols where the parties can step out into a separate virtual hearing or virtual caucus room. Um, or perhaps um, spend time on a whatsapp group during the pre- proceedings um, but of course there's there's a lingering concern that uh, those communications might might um, come to the knowledge of the other side so it's very important we think to to make sure that your your breakout room or your caucus room is as secure as possible um, actually leave the hearing room and move to the virtual caucus room rather than rather than staying in on, in case you have a hot mic moment, but we have certainly found that uh, that there are ways to communicate with your team even if you're
1: not in the same the same room. In my experience, I think the idea is simply to just to always keep in mind that your communications could be um, you know could be hacked, for instance, or it may be not maybe may not be that secure as you think it is. So to to take all the cautious sort of approaches that you would ordinarily take. Um, you know, we one thing that we always do prior to any hearing, for example, is we would uh, reach out to the arbitrator or the secretariat uh, of the tribunal and the uh, opposition to test, for instance, the platform connectivity and the like. Uh, insofar as clients and witnesses are concerned, you know, I would certainly want to be able to uh, reach out telephonically, I would imagine, uh, to witnesses during an adjournment or during a, or a client, obviously not when they're under cross-examination, but, you know, when it's when it's appropriate to reach out to them. Um, so, yes, I think one is to just exercise uh, caution and make sure that, uh, you know, you plan for all of these eventualities.
0: I like that. It's a cautious creativity approach. Um, but what if clients are still not quite convinced that, they need to jump on the virtual hearing movement bandwagon. Um, What other advantages are there to using um, virtual platforms in international arbitration?
2: Chandani, from from my perspective, I think that there there are some efficiencies to be gained. Um, We are no longer all jumping on on planes and taking international flights to be in the same venue. So there's a significant saving on, on travel costs um, venue hire often and and uh, i think you know the parties the parties do have a benefit in, in those savings um, and and i think you know we we're able to to dial people in to the same arbitration from all over the world which makes scheduling a fair amount easier
1: chandani i would say that we we have had instances where we haven't had uh, buy in from from clients and for very valid reasons for example you know in one of our international arbitrations uh, we were meant to do an inspection in loco and uh, given the lockdown and severe quarantine uh, requirements on the um, in the other jurisdiction we were not able to to attend the inspection our opponents were all too happy to attend the inspection with the arbitrator and, you know, would use uh, sort of old technology just to video and uh, uh, allow us to see what's going on. We felt that that was highly inadequate and rather called for the postponement or deferment of that proceeding because it was just inherently unfair. You know, my sense is that uh, one has to obviously, you know, clients might might not buy in if it doesn't suit them, if it's going to be severely unfair and one has to just be flexible. But I do agree with all of Sarah's points in that, uh, you know, the benefits of these virtual hearings will always outweigh uh, certain uh, criticisms simply because, uh, you know, it, it, it all enhances the spirit of arbitration, which is expeditious hearings. And this really makes it more uh, uh, realistic, you know, in, in the sense that you are saving costs, you are not spending uh, money unnecessarily on logistics and venues, etc.
0: And thanks for that balanced view. I mean, all of the literature coming out is is really that no matter what you are doing, just make sure that it's private, confidential, it's fair, and everything is done with due process. And perhaps that is the best way to protect your client's rights and really the enforceability of whatever award you may be getting.
2: I agree. And, And maybe I would just add that um, I think there are some interesting questions being posed internationally about what what happens if one of the parties doesn't want to agree to a virtual hearing, whether whether the the arbitral um, panel um, can impose one on them if they feel that that is what's in in the interests of progressing the arbitration. And I think that's a jurisdiction specific question, and a lot of work is being done. Um, in relation to trying to, trying to answer it. And um, of course, if the parties agree, that's one thing. But, but if they don't, I think it, it does raise certain complexities that the international arbitration community is, is grappling with.
1: Sorry, Sarah, in addition to that, and you're cor- absolutely correct, I think in, in the particular example I've just mentioned, the saving grace was having a really strong uh, administrator who simply saw the unfairness in a, a one-sided inspection process. And uh, you know, according, I would imagine that um, you know uh, the the tribunal or secretariat has to be uh, you know well versed in these protocols, uh, and and you know one has to continuously ensure that there's uh, uh, fairness and transparency in these processes.
0: It looks like virtual hearings may be here to stay, at least for the foreseeable future. Um, But I'd like to hear your thoughts in closing. Do you believe that this is the future of international arbitration, or is this just a a temporary fix?
1: The pandemic has forced us to embrace the future. I think in time to come, we're going to see this, as I mentioned in the beginning, a serious game changer. Uh, You know, I see a plentitude of disputes that are going to be uh, coming into effect as a result, in fact, of the pandemic. Um, arbitration, in my view, is, will always be the most appropriate mechanism to resolve these disputes uh, effectively and expeditiously. As, as a firm and as Weber-Wenzel, we have had to be forward-thinking and have had to be innovative uh, to ass- ensure that uh, we engage the new normal uh, and more so to benefit our clients uh, to ensure the best and most groundbreaking solutions in order to assist them with their dispute resolution um, solutions.
2: From my perspective, Chandani, I, th- I think that um, the answer to the question of whether whether this is going to be the new normal is um, yes and no, probably. Um, I think that some parties will will certainly revert to um, physical hearings when when they are able to do so safely. I think there there are inevitable concerns around virtual platforms that some parties some parties will prefer to avoid. But I do think that we've seen that virtual hearings are a viable alternative. So in, in cases where the logistical difficulties around an in-person hearing are, um, out, I suppose outweigh the, the benefits of the in-person hearing um, parties, parties may, may well wish to, to take advantage of what we've now gained skills in. And I, I, I think that we will see a, a bit of both um, going forward.
0: Thank you both so much for sharing your insights with us on this very, very hot topic. This has been a Weber Wenzel Legal Insights production. Our executive producer is Paula Ewens, And this podcast is produced for Weber Wenzel by volume. I am your host Chandani Gopal. And thank you for listening.
2: You have been listening to Weber Wenzel
0: Legal Insights. You can find and subscribe to the podcast on all major platforms. For more expert legal insights and updates, Visit WeberWenzel.com.